Well, good morning to you. Some of you are probably wondering why I have a suit on today. A couple of different reasons. Uh, one is this is my 10th anniversary with you, so I thought I would dress up. <laughs> Ten years ago, I preached down the road a little bit in Fallbrook. It was the day that uh, Larry Edding was ordained and installed as your new pastor. And I've been back ever since because they keep holding the World Series. <laughs> and because I wore a suit today, I thought I'd wear a special tie because I have two children and one grandchild, and they are both nice. That's why I wore my nice tie. And this morning already, I got two Father's Day card cards from my wife. One was hokey-jokey. The other one was really nice, and her name is Nancy. And of course, I also had to wear this because somebody the other day asked me, a guy who grew up in Nebraska, whether I was going to root for Michigan. I don't root for anybody that plays Nebraska. I don't care who they are. So if you're from up that land north of us, I don't root for them. This is also kind of a, a sad day for me as well, because uh, I joined Larry uh, in mourning the loss of his older brother, Gene, who I was privileged to know over the years. And uh, also because uh, my classmate in high school and college, uh, Dennis, lost his wife, Donna, um, not long ago. So it's a time of sadness as well. Now, this morning, I am going to talk about prayer. And part of the reason is because we're doing a series on prayer this summer at the congregation that I attend now. It's called Praise and Worship. It's a mission uh, congregation. Uh, we only worship about 90 to 100 people. Uh, but I've also started another missional community because it's about 20 minutes. So I frequent a coffee shop six days a week. Hollister Coffee Company in Hollister, Missouri. I'm only there six days a week because they're not open on Sundays. <laughs> so we started something a few weeks back, well, a few months back, called the Daily Grind. It's where we gather and we grind and we grow and we go. And it's kind of an interesting thing. I have no idea what's going to be on the screen today because they didn't really find my PowerPoint, so I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about either. But I'll try to keep you kind of up to date in where we're going. Uh, the Mitchell community, so if you want to ever think of it, if you happen to be in the Branson area on a Saturday night, come to Hollister Coffee Company, 6 o'clock. We'll give you a free cup of coffee. You want one of those fancy schmancy ones, we'll charge you for it. Uh, but you can sit and you can just help us uh, do a little bit of grinding that night. I'm going to take you back to an Old Testament book we don't often talk about, and it's the book of Exodus. We kind of skip through it because once we get the children of Israel out of Egypt, we don't really much care what else happens. We're ready to skip it to the New Testament. But a number of years ago, as I was just reading, and I, I, I have a practice of reading through the Bible every year, and sometimes I do it in two years just to kind of break the, I wouldn't call it the monotony of reading the Bible, but I do it in two years. I was gone through, in fact, it's about two or three years ago, I got to Exodus chapter 33, and I wrote down three things, and I thought this possibly might make a sermon someday, probably at Word of Life. I, I don't know, I was thinking about Word of Life or not at that time. And everyone down though, I would go back to that text, and you can see it on your little message outline. And I would add an idea or two, but I never changed the basic structure. Uh, but I, I suddenly realized that these three thoughts 
were that every leader, or more specifically, every believer, and even on a Father's Day, every father or grandfather, these are things that we ought to be asking of God every single day. These are this is a kind of a powerful good morning prayer, which you get into when we get to the end. It's a prayer that if you memorize it, won't take you much to memorize it, will take you about 15 seconds to say every morning. And so I began to develop this habit. And so when I wake up and I go down to my office, I, I, I've got this thing. There are three prayer requests that... Uh, help keep me focused, and they kind of get my day going in the right direction. So today I want to talk to you about those three things, three simple seconds, uh, sentences, 15 seconds to pray. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to look at this text. Let me read it to you from Exodus 33, verses 12 and 13. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. Now, here's the part that I really want you to notice. Verse 13, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Now, I don't know if you've ever been reading your scriptures and you're going through it. All of a sudden, the verse just kind of jumps out at you. It's almost like it turns bold or kind of leaps out and almost grabs you by the face and says, you better look at this a little bit more. But what Moses was saying here was, Teach me your ways, Uh, because in learning God's ways, we learn about the very heart uh, and the mind of God. We kind of learn what God's personality is really like. And when we know what God's ways are like, when we know what his personality is like, then we we know what he is like. Now, when you come to church, and I'm kind of I'm making an assumption here, what happens every week, I pray at Word of Life or what happens at Praise and Worship or any other church you go to. Uh, You hear that God is a God of mercy. Uh, You hear that God is a compassionate God. He is a gracious God, a forgiving God. And probably above everything else, you probably come and you learn that God is love. That's kind of a a pretty simple thing. We also learn that God is holy, which actually kind of the old Hebrew means he's kind of weird. Yeah, it's different. He's set apart. He's strange. And you learn that God is patient. I don't know about you. I'm glad he's patient with me. Otherwise, he'd have given up on me many years ago. Uh, We learn that God is fair. Now, I can tell you that this is what God is like. And maybe you'll believe me. And maybe you won't. But much better when you actually discover it for yourself, when you actually discover who God really is to you. Now, how do you do that? Well, I'm going to tell you, you spend time with him in the word. Uh, In the biblical narrative, we learn what God is like. You start at Genesis chapter 1, and you read through, you're going to find out exactly who this God is that you claim to believe, and you find out exactly what he's like, Uh, and what he dislikes. We find out what he loves, we find out what he hates, what he accepts, what he rejects, uh, what he wants, what he doesn't want. And the more you know about him, the more you begin to kind of understand his ways, and the more you begin to know him personally. Now, this is Trinity Sunday. I'm not going to make you stand and recite the Athanasian Creed for memory with me. That would take five minutes. I only want to talk about a prayer that takes 15 seconds. Okay, so just sit back and relax. No Athanasian Creed today. But what this really boils down to is that God wants to have a relationship with you. See, the Christian life is more than just opening that book and reading about him. It's more than just doing religious things like crossing yourself 
or, you know, bowing at certain times. It's not just about going through a functional sort of liturgy in church. It's about having a personal relationship with God through his son, who also happens to be your brother. His name is Jesus. And the more you know God and the more you know his ways, the less you struggle with uncertainty and doubt. Now, believe it or not, there are many times that I really don't know what to do. And I sit there and I ponder, what should I be doing? And then all of a sudden it hits me. The answer is right in front of me. It's in the pages of what I call the biblical narrative. That's the Bible because it's all one long narrative. For example, when I ask myself, should I get even with that person or should I forgive that person? See, when I know God's ways, I know the answer right away to, to that question. You know, should I take that call to that new church or into that new ministry? Not that a new ministry would ask you to do unethical things, but some jobs might ask you to do certain unethical things, even though the money's pretty good. But see, when you know God's ways, you know what decision you're going to make in that job. I mean, should I give up on trying to be good? Because let's be honest with each other, folks. Being good is really hard. And those of you who have kids know that. You've seen them in practice. I also know that I was not the goodest kid growing up. I still remember a college professor once who stuck his finger in my face. I won't mention his name uh, back at Concordia, but he said, you're just a gangster. That's all you are. That's all you'll ever be. You'll be just like your father, who happened to be in prison at that time. So I know a little bit about something about not being so good all the time. But I'm saying, friends, is that a commitment, a commitment to knowing God and knowing his ways is going to bring clarity to your life. You're just everything's going to become much clearer for you. It's through walking in his way that we experience favor with God. Now, I don't know about you. I want to live in God's favor. Now, some of you know that I teach and I've been doing this for 20 years now at the largest maximum security prison in America, Angola, Angola, Louisiana. By the way, I've already had three email Happy Father's Day wishes from inmates this morning. That's kind of funny. Dear Daddy. It's like, I didn't know I had this many kids. But thankfully, I got one from my daughter already, too. That made it up for it. But one of the inmates, Big Lou, told me a few years ago, he said, you know something, Doc? You've got favor in this prison. And I said, really? What does that mean? He said, oh, come on, you know what that means. It means you can go anywhere, anytime, no matter where in this entire 16,000 acre prison and nobody's going to bother you. You have that kind of a reputation here. That's kind of nice, you know, when you got favor. But imagine when we got favor at a much higher level than with the warden. We've got favor with God. And that's that's why Moses started out this little prayer this way, essentially saying, Lord, help me to know you so that I can know your ways and I can know your favor. That's part of the prayer. The second part is I want to walk with you. When I was in uh, college, one of the last courses I took was with Professor Blomenberg. And he asked me if I understood what the, the word Concordia meant. And to be quite honest, I wasn't really sure. I thought it had something to do with Concord. I don't know if it meant Concord grape juice or whatever. But and then he asked me if I knew what synod meant. And, well, I still don't know what synod really stands for. That's just, we'll leave that there. Uh, 
<laughs> but he said, get up. And he took my hand and he walked me around the classroom, walking around hand in hand with Professor Blumenberg. He said, because synod really means walking together, kind of hand in hand. And when you're in concordance with one another, you walk hand in hand and everything is okay. Well, you all know, those of you who are married, you know, you, I hope you do, you walk and you walk hand in hand with your wife. Uh, But God made his promise to Moses in verse 14. The Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, that rest is a word we can translate. You can use the word like shalom, but it also means peace. In other places, the Bible talks about entering God's rest. Now, what does that mean? It just means having peaceful contentment. Everything is wonderful. Now, even in the Old Testament, God made it clear that he doesn't want his people to be anxious and on edge all the time. And that's why Isaiah said, you will keep me in perfect peace, particularly those whose mind is steadfast because they trust in you. Uh, Perfect peace. That's what Paul called that peace that passes all human understanding. Jesus said, you know, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give you what the world gives you because we know the world is not very peaceful. So he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. Don't be afraid. And, of course, one of my favorite ones, Matthew eleven twenty-eight, I think it is. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. I will give you shalom. I will give you peace. See, this is what God wants for his people, that we live in peace and harmony with other people. Not just peace with those other people, although he wants that. He also wants us to experience peace in our personal life and for you to live at peace with yourself. And he wants to give you a certain amount of rest where you just feel good because, you know, you're God's child. And no matter what's going on, everything's going to be all right. I don't know if you've ever experienced a lack of peace. Uh, I spent uh, almost 18 years coaching basketball up through high school and college. And then about, about 35 years as a pastor, and I, I've had people ask me different times, uh, are they alike or different? And I said, well, as a pastor, I've never been booed out loud. <laughs> <clears throat> and as a basketball coach, I never had a death threat. Which means I was booed out loud, <laughs> you know, when you stand up at the basketball court. And I, yes, I did have a death threat as a pastor. That kind of ruins your peace a little bit when you start worrying about that. When your wife says, don't walk in front of the picture window at home. (laughs) Come home before it gets too dark at night. See, we all want to experience that peace, that that rest. But it comes when you are secure in your walk with Jesus. I've been to, I don't know, about 13 or 14 different foreign countries. Been to Haiti a few years ago. And some of these places are, are kind of scary when you think about it. But I've never really been worried because my attitude is I'd rather die on the mission field than get run over by a car in a Walmart parking lot. The mission field is a whole lot better place to go. And besides, I trust that God is with me when I'm there. Otherwise, he wouldn't drag me halfway around the world to these different places. So that second part of the prayer is, Lord, help me to walk in your presence and to walk in your peace. And praying like this, this prayer helped me develop another habit. And as I kind of go through the day, as I kind of move from place to place, I kind of say another little prayer that goes kind of like this. God, thank you for being here with me. 
Thanks just for being here with me. Now, I know that he promised that because he said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Uh, those of you who know the Great Commission, he says at the end, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So when I pray this prayer in the morning, I'm saying, Lord, I know that you're with me. You promised to be with me. And so today, help me live my life like I actually believe this. Now, I kind of love what Moses said to God in verse 15. If you read a little bit further in this chapter, he said that Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, then don't send us from here. And Moses say, if you don't go with me, God, I don't want to go. I don't want to go anywhere that you're not going to go with me. Now, why did Moses say that? Well, it's because he knew that life outside the presence of God really isn't worth it. Some of you who've lived your life outside of God that may be here this morning, you know what life was like outside of God. I mean, the prison I work with, the average sentence is 88 years. These are murderers, convicted sex crimes, habitual criminals who said that the best place they ever went was Angola prison where they met God. Some of the finest Christian people I've ever met are in that prison. One of them got out about two months ago, wrote me this really wonderful letter. In two months, he got married and planted a church that already worships 80 or 90 people. And he said, you know, I'm not sure I feel as free yet as I did when I was back in prison. But he knows that God is with him. This is why Solomon says better a little with the fear of the Lord than all this wealth and turmoil. See, it's not just worth it to go anywhere or do anything if you're not assured that God is somehow going with you. So when you know God's walking with you, there's no place too distant. There's no place too dark. There's no place too dangerous for you to go. God's there. You don't feel lonely because you are never, ever really alone. So we're going to pray, help me to walk in your presence and your peace. Now, there's a third part of this prayer, and that is to reveal your glory. An interesting prayer. Reveal your glory. Uh, verses 17 and 18 said, The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Now, show me your glory, he says. Now, what happens is God says, I'm going to cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. Some of you know this story. Uh, I'll have mercy on you. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, but Moses, you cannot see my face because no one has ever seen the face of God and lived. So the Lord said, there's a place near me that you can stand on a rock. And when my glory passes you, I will shove you in a cleft in that rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. And then I will remove my hand and you can kind of catch my coattails as I pass by. That's kind of what it says there. He said, but my face cannot be seen. Now, I think when I read that story, I think that's kind of a cool story, first of all. But this part of the story kind of reminds us that we will never fully understand what the fullness of God is really all about. I mean, I could preach until the cows come home, and that would be easy to do here in Nebraska. Uh, but, you know, with our human limitations, we are never going to be able to figure out what God is completely like. Paul even says, you know, what we see is a poor reflection as in a mirror. But someday, guess what? You know, just like Gene Edding, just like Donna Edding, boom, face to face with God, face to face. 
First John chapter 3, verse 2 says, But we know when that happens, we shall be like him, for we will see him for exactly who he is. See, in this life, we, we kind of strive to see as much of God's glory as we, we possibly can. Let's be honest, when, you, when you've heard songs and you sing the songs you sing in church, sometimes you feel like you're there. You know, Bill, I was thinking you said it's about a gospel show. I think people come to a gospel show and they don't really know what to expect. But somehow in that music, they see or get a glimpse of who God really is. And those are wonderful times. You ever, ever had that happen? You just kind of go, woo, I think I just, I was with God. But here's what I want you to see. That glimpse, whatever glimpse that is, whether it be in a concert, whether it be singing a song in church, that glimpse is enough to change us. Maybe change us for life. And in the very next chapter of the book of Exodus, you keep on reading uh, Moses when he comes down from the mountain, just because he's seen the coattails of God, his face was so shiny that he had to wear a veil over it because he was blinding people. Now, I, I, you know this as well as I do, that there's something about people who spend time in the presence of God. You just know they were with God. Uh, they, they, they're radiant. They're confident. They, they have an assurance that you just can't manufacture or make up. It only comes, why? Because they've been in the presence of God. And how that happens is probably different for all of you. I don't know, there's just something, you know, the other day, it's kind of interesting, when they sing the national anthem, you know, you get this kind of heart pounding, and when those F-14s fly across the stadium, you just kind of go, oh, wow, that's really cool, I'm, I live in America. But you also have those same kinds of things happen every once in a while, where you just know you've been in the presence of God. It, you know, you stand and you look out at the Rocky Mountains, you kind of, oh, wow, God created this. How cool is that? Or you watch the birth of your child, how cool is that? Now, he said, I want to see two aspects of your glory. One of his power. The revelation of the glory of God brings an understanding of his power. Now, you all here living here in Nebraska have experienced the power of a flood. Nothing, nothing compared to the power of God. God who could have just put a hand down and just pushed all that water back, scooped it up and thrown it away. Could have done that. There's also the revelation of his majesty, of how great God is. Uh, how good God is. There's just nobody like our God. So the third part of the prayer is reveal to me your glory, your power, and your majesty. So my life is filled with your radiance. See, that's a simple prayer. Simple prayer. Lord, help me to know you. Help me to know your ways and to know your favor. Uh, help me to walk in your presence and your peace. Reveal to me your glory, your majesty, your power. So that the rest of my life can be filled with radiance. Now, when you figure that out, you can memorize that and rattle off that prayer in 15 seconds. And I would commend if you if you don't pick up anything else today other than the fact he had a kind of a neat looking tie, remembering his nice kids and his wife, Nancy. <laughs> Go big red. Uh, it only takes 15 seconds or so to say the prayer. And I, I, I'd say it would probably set the tone for your day and not only your day. But I think the more you say it, probably set the tone for the rest of your life. So many of the things that hinder us, this prayer, I find myself coming back to time and again. So when I'm faced with uncertainty in life, and I still face uncertainty, I just say, Lord, help me to know you, your, know, your, your ways, and to show, give me your favor. 
And when things get a little bit stressful and when I feel a little bit alone, uh, I kind of look up to heaven and I, I say, Lord, help me walk in your presence and help me walk in your peace. And when I feel powerless over the circumstances of life, and when I feel God is somehow far away and forgotten me, I just say, Lord, you've got to reveal your glory, your power, your majesty, so my life is filled with your radiance. Now, I think on your message outline, if you get this, you got this? See that page? I printed out the prayer right at the bottom, right here. And so guess what? We're going to end the sermon. You can stand and clap if you like, but you don't need to. Uh, <laughs> let's pray this prayer together as we close. Lord, help me to know you, to know your ways, and to know your favor. Help me to walk in your presence and in your peace. Reveal to me your glory, your power, and your majesty, so that my life is filled with your radiance. God bless you all. Happy anniversary. And uh, maybe see you next year.